Take your Bibles, please, and open them. You will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. I will join you there in just a moment, Matthew chapter 27. I appreciate that. (laughs) I'm going to read one verse to you from the book of Hebrews, and then I'll join you there in Matthew 27. I'll try to be ready to do that as seamlessly as possible. Let me read a passage to you from Hebrews chapter 11, just one verse. And I'm reading verse 6 from that chapter. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. The Him there is God. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them which diligently seek Him. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 27. We'll begin in verse 38. We're picking this up through, partway through the crucifixion of Christ. This is the week my wife gets to escape from junior church and be in the service. She's always so happy about that. Verse 38 of Matthew 27. It says, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him. So Christ is here being crucified. These are the men with him. Wagging their heads or mocking. It's a a taunting, mocking move. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, buildest it in three days, save thyself. If... Thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So they're mocking him. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. <laughs> Himself he cannot save. Pay attention especially to this. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down, come him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. If you if you mark in your Bibles, I've would encourage you, that might be something you want to mark. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him save or deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. In other words, one's crucified on the other side. The idea that is a mocking, sneering way they did it. Both of them did it. I mentioned to you on Wednesday night that that thief to whom Jesus would end up saying, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, started out by mocking Jesus just like everybody else. So you think about that kind of forgiveness the Lord had. And uh, quite a contrast, isn't it, between what I read to you from Hebrews, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And then we read the account here where mockingly it is said and then reinforced by the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees and such, where they said, let Him now come down from the cross and we'll believe on Him. And these type of things were said. And uh, 
The message this morning is very simple, and it is this. Who is coming to who? Who is coming to who? Let me say by way of beginning that the uh, there's always an element that shows up over and over again in the proud, fallen nature of our mankind that we want God to come on our terms. And in the most basic understanding in the arena of, of understanding God is this, understanding who is coming to who. Uh, within the last two weeks, I spoke with someone. And I was talking to them about believing God and about their trust in the Lord. And they said, well, if God would do this or God would do that, I'd believe. Well, that's exactly what they were saying here. Well, if He's really the Son of God, let Him come down. If He now will come down, if He will do what we think, when we think, then we'll believe Him. Can we even start to gauge the arrogance of that? God, if You perform to our expectations, we will, we will honor You with our belief. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? One of the great disservices and troubles in our modern American Christianity is we've made way too much of men and way too little of God. To a point where there's an inherent mindset that somehow... God would be so privileged if He just had us. Who's coming to who? And on what terms? Um, when I thought of this thing, I thought many of those who had come to Christ in the Bible. And the Bible gives some great, and just some wonderful, wonderful examples of people who came to Christ. And they're different. Don't go looking for an experience. You hear somebody tell their testimony and you know, they talk about how the Lord dealt with them and what conviction felt like for them and what their emotion was like at the time they received the Lord. And if you're not careful, you're trying to duplicate the experience instead of understanding it's the Savior is what it's about. But I was amazed when I started thinking through the Bible and I thought, well, this would be refreshing for the church. And also, it would help us understand um, the fact that... Uh, we, we have to understand we're coming to God. He, he's, he's already come to us. He's, he's already manifested His love. He made it open and showed it. He came to this earth for us. He's done these things. But now if we're going to reciprocate, if we're going to, uh, if we're going to come to Him in faith and in love, if, not just for salvation, but in our day-by-day walk, if we're going to live the Christian life, which should be a life, I said in Sunday school, of daily renewal, walking with God, the mercies of God are new every morning. I was driving in early one day this week. I know for some that would mean before noon, but no, it was actually early. And I was driving in early, and it was just, just sunrise, and the dew was still on. Very heavy. And it looked as if everything, well, was sparkling when you'd see the sunshine on it. It was absolutely gorgeous. The trees... The grass, everything about it, it, it was like the whole world was just sparkling with that first, those first sunrise rays hitting. It was just coming up. What a beautiful thing that was. 
And when I looked at it, I thought of just what I'm telling you right now. The mercies of God are new every morning. And God, if we will walk in His fullness, will put a dew on our life that will begin every day. I claim that verse a lot anymore. Uh, Our enemy knows what it's like to attack in the night and leading this congregation and knowing what God wants to do in as dark a region as we are in. I full well feel those assaults on a nightly basis. But you listen. The mercies of God are new every morning. Every morning. Preacher, I've messed some things up. Probably more than you know about. But the mercies of God are new every morning. Well, preacher, I've made some bad decisions. Honestly, not jokingly. Probably more than we know. Probably more than you know. Probably some that we thought were good may not be so good. But the mercies of God are new every morning. And so it's like that refreshing dew that I give you this morning. Some of these accounts of, of, of people. And, and when they came to God. And it's absolutely amazing. First one I thought of. This fellow gets a lot of attention, but he's an interesting fellow in the Bible. It's a guy named Zacchaeus. What do you know about Zacchaeus? Somebody tell me what you know about Zacchaeus. Just tell me. He was a small man. He was short, wasn't he? What else do you know about Zacchaeus? There's a couple outstanding things. Fun? He was a tax collector. What else? He likes to climb trees. There we go. So we got a short tax collector up a tree, and all of us say we'd like to put all the tax collectors up a tree. But we're thinking of the Wild West with a rope. But no. Uh, and the kids learn the song, don't they? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And all the rest of this children's song has gone away from me. So I don't know what the rest of it is. But we, we have the children's song, and we sing about it. But it's an absolutely amazing thing. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with it, but look in Luke chapter 19, and I want to show you some of these folks and say who's coming to who. And I know because I'm going to give you the Word of God that God can speak to your heart this morning about you coming to God as your Savior. You coming to God as your Heavenly Father on a day-by-day basis. Luke chapter 19 contains this account, and it's a wonderful thing. Let's look what happens. It's absolutely amazing. And by the way, you're going to notice two of the accounts, which I will show you this morning, happened in a city called Jericho. If you're not familiar with Jericho, Jericho was a cursed city. It was the first city that the Israelites encountered when they went into the Promised Land. It is that city where God knocked the walls of the city down. And by the way, there was a curse put on whoever would rebuild Jericho. Jericho archaeologically has been rebuilt no less than seven times. It's a very ancient city. But uh, this was a city which has had a curse on it at times. And you're going to find a couple of people who were in rough shape. But Jesus came through. I love that. When Jesus comes through any place, boy, He makes a difference. Let's look in Luke chapter 19 and see what happens with it. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. By the way, he was rich because of some crooked practices. But look at the beginning of verse 3, and I'm going to tell you the whole thing for Zacchaeus arriving where he did and the wonderful things that happened here were hinged on this thing. Look at verse 3. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. Well, you get doing that, and you want to see Jesus for who he really is. And you want to see God for who he really is. I promise you, you've taken a step in the right direction with things. 
By the way, if you don't know the Lord and you want to know Him who He really is, you end up getting able to cut through all the religious jargon and nonsense going on and realize He's the Savior of the world, God's Son who came to save us. What a wonderful thing. And so he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press, that was just a whole bunch of people, because he was little of stature. Wasn't the Lord nice about that? He was very short. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. I love that. I, I cannot read that verse without thinking the old song. And I knew I've heard it first around the Nazarene churches, but I love the song. He, I would not be denied. Pains of death were on my soul. I would not be denied. And it's a great old song. I think of it every time I, 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 I uh, read that. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him and said unto Him, Zacchaeus, <laughs> make haste, come down. For today I must abide in thy house. And He made haste and came down and received Him joyfully. He was happy to have Christ. And when they saw it, they all murmured. You hear that? What's he doing? They're murmuring against Jesus. Saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. (laughs) And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. See, that was very important to him because of what he did, what his occupation was, and how he had interacted with people. He said, I really want to get things right. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. It wasn't an event that came. It's somebody that came. Jesus came. He said, This day is salvation come to thy house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham. And by the way, (laughs) that's a great reference. It goes back to the fact of Abraham being the father of the faithful. There's a lot tied into that. But look at the next verse. Jesus explains what he means. For the Son of Man, that's a title He gave to Himself in that that verse. For the Son of Man is come to seek. He found this one up a tree. He may have found some of you kind of up a tree too, huh? To seek. Not just to seek, but to do what? Say. When I pause with the question, that's when you respond. To seek and to do what? There you go. And uh, by the way, Jesus not only is concerned, but He can do something about it. To seek and to save. And look who that which was lost. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. What? Zacchaeus. He sought to see Jesus who He was. Then I thought of Bartimaeus. Another fellow there in that same city. And uh, events happening. Look in the book of Mark. And what do you know about Bartimaeus? What's the adjective that you usually put with it? Blind. Blind Bartimaeus. That wasn't actually his name. But it is a descriptive adjective of his condition. Look in the book of Mark. In chapter 10. It'll help a lot if I tell you the chapter 1. I see you pausing. I thought, oh. They're missing a piece of information that could be useful. Mark chapter 10. And uh, look in verse 46. Not 46. I do that a lot. And I wrote it out my hand. 36. 36. Should be 11. Is that right? Find it for me, somebody. I need Brother Carpenter. Call your husband at home. Tell him I've done it again. Pardon? Verse 46, yeah. Oh, you know why I can't find it? You doubt me so much. Yeah, I'm in Matthew. 
Okay. Hold on. You think that's funny. You came to hear me explain the Bible to you and I can't find them. So uh, who's craziest in this room? All right. Mark chapter 10. There we go. It reads a lot better. If actually, they both start with an M. Give me that anyway, okay? Um, 10 verse 46. I was looking all over. Old blind Bartimaeus. I couldn't see him. Um, <laughs> and they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho, so, you know, he met Zacchaeus there in Jericho. Now he's gone through Jericho. With his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. This man's blind. He's just begging for, uh, for food. He needs basic substance. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, and by the way, very important statement he makes here, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The Jewish man Bartimaeus knew that that term, son of David, he was recognizing him as the Messiah. He had heard about Jesus, and that term, son of David, was a very important term that referred and, and made, uh, made uh, an understanding that he's talking about the one that's supposed to come. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we're waiting for. So he was identifying him that, which the blind man could see more clearly than many around him in that aspect. Sort of like uh, Fanny Crosby who wrote so many of our hymns and was blinded in infancy by a doctor who put, uh, put a, uh, some stuff on her eyes that uh, robbed her of her sight. And she lived up to her 80s and, and served the Lord that whole time and wrote some of the most beautiful hymns that have ever been written. She was such a prolific writer, she would write under other names because people wouldn't believe she was writing it and they wouldn't accept it. She wrote, some say, up to 900 hymns in her life. Yeah, so that's a blind person who could really see. And so Bartimaeus, he says, he hears us, Jesus and Nazareth. And he began to cry out, verse 47 there, and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him. Watch what the crowd does. They would hold his peace. So what's that mean? They said, hush. Blind guy's hollering, hey, Jesus, son of David. Hush, hush. Who do you think you are anyway? You're sitting there covered with dust by sitting by the road and rags. And just hush, man. Just You need to learn your place. You're just old beggar. Jesus! Well, he won't hush, will he? He said, he would cry out, Jesus, thou son of uh, David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. <laughs> I love this guy. Look at verse 48 again. But he cried the more. He got louder. A great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. He just stops moving. There's a whole crowd going with him. And commanded him to be called. Now watch what these hypocrites do. Jesus stops and he looks over. He says, I want to talk to him. Now, these people who had just been saying, hush, hush, what are you doing? You mind your place. Look what they do. Jesus gives them their attention. And everybody's trying to see, you know, trying to get near Jesus. And, and this is a real popular time for, for Jesus. And so he, he says, he says uh, uh, bring him to him. Look what they say. Uh, they, turn, they call the blind man saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And this is my buddy. I'll bring him to you. Oh, my goodness. What duplicity. And so they do this. And he, casting away his garment, rose. He had that outer garment on. It would have been dirty from sitting there. And came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? He said, What do you want? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may, might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. Look what he did with it. And followed Jesus in the way.
And uh, so that's what he did with it there, didn't he? Pretty amazing. You say, what is this? How about Bartimaeus? Who's coming to who? He's coming to Jesus. And in doing that, he set aside that outer garment. In doing that, he, he wouldn't be denied. He kept crying out for it. I, I thought it was interesting. I wrote it this way. He was a blind man who saw clearly neither the cruel circumstances in which he found himself nor the calloused indifference of those around him could keep him from lifting up his voice to the one and only true Savior. You, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you try to walk with the Lord, you're going to encounter stumbling blocks. And some of them are going to be people around you. And some of them are going to be events of life and such. But uh, you just cry out to the Lord. Then there was a fellow that was a publican. He's the second one. Um, Zacchaeus was chief of them. But the publicans were tax collectors. They were Jewish people who collected taxes for the Roman government were hated by the Jewish people because of that. We see him in Luke chapter 18. Go to Luke 18, please. And I'll go to John and see what it says. Um, <coughs> Luke chapter 18. Look in verse 9. The he here is Jesus in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Uh, Watch this Pharisee. He's got a serious case of the uh, God ought to be just happy to have me mindset. The Pharisee, which is a prominent religious fellow, stood and prayed thus with himself. Interesting. God, I thank thee. I bet he said God. What do you think? God. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Watch <laughs> the other guy's praying. I don't know like him. <laughs> I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Boy, he's a dandy. Verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast. That's where he was feeling the hurt, the conviction. The need was in his heart, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. How significant the standing position that the publican chose he positioned himself afar off. His honest recognition of his true condition before God revealed a heart that was already drawing nigh to that God. The fact that he f- put himself physically at a distance, wouldn't look up, and it wasn't a show, revealed that his heart was already drawing towards God. Because he realized he needed mercy and that God could extend to him that mercy. <laughs> I got a traffic ticket once. 
I've lived here. I've had, I think, two in my lifetime. Yeah. Once I had got one with my mom in the car with me. That was totally amazing. Um, we were singing. Georgetown, Kentucky. That's where I got it. I remember. But I got a traffic ticket. We were singing then, too. wonder if I'm really speeding or if they just hear me. Um, I was speeding short enough. Guilty as charged. But I went to traffic court. It was just interesting. I've told some about I'm going to all detail, but it was kind of interesting. They had so many in there. We were sitting in the jury box, and I was up there wanting to get myself in trouble. I've, I find amusement in interesting situations. So finally, it was my turn. I'd watched so many people bring in notes from the mechanics that their cruise control was off. And this, this judge is like, that's your problem, not mine, $85. And I mean, so I went in. And so I go up there, and I guess I must have had a half grin because the guy just looks at me. And he really had a sarcastic sense of humor, which I found interesting. And uh, he said, okay, you're charged with thus and such a date, thus and such speed. He's like, how do you plead? I said, guilty. He said, you could have just mailed this in. I said, I know. He said, why are you here? I said, I'm looking for mercy. He never bad an eye. He said, you've come to the wrong place. $85, go see the clerk. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed. I said, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I laughed again because it was just, I thought that was so good. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just, I admire somebody who do that. But it's, uh, come to the wrong place. Pay the clerk. clerk. Uh, uh, you won't go to the wrong place when you go to God for mercy. When you really realize your situation and you really want mercy from Him, you're not coming proud and arrogantly or looking for a, a pass so you can continue in a way of disobedience. But you really want to get things straight and you'd like to live like the, the, like the God who created you wants you to live, uh, you'd be amazed how abundant His mercy is. And that's what happened here. These are neat things. They're not the same at all, are they? You have one fellow, a very rich man, and he's a little old guy climbing up a tree. Then you have a fellow who's blind. Then you have this fellow here. He's, he's been involved in this tax industry and stuff, but he's just, he comes to the house of God, but he puts himself off over in the corner and, He's got to hear this other fellow praying real loud about how wonderful he is. But isn't it amazing the publican didn't leave because of that guy? He was looking for God and didn't matter what that other guy was doing. Hey, look, wouldn't everybody agree there are plenty of people who have some real problems with self-righteousness and they're basically, excuse the word, but can be real idiots. Wouldn't we agree there are a lot of those in the world? Right? Right? Okay. Why should we be surprised if someone come to church? Don't let that rattle you. You just seek God. And let's try not to be one of those. Because I have a feeling we have a little bit of that dwelling inside of each of us. So let's work at not doing that. Then this one is a totally different situation. Look in Acts chapter 16. I'm talking about who's coming to who. Because there's some common things if you're watching in these. Look in Acts chapter 16. To me, this is just refreshing to think about. I like it. I like hearing about it. I like hearing about what God did and what... God did in these people's lives. I called this one from suicide to salvation. Boy, I wish I could give you some details of something the Lord's doing this week. Just amazing. Somebody I've got to deal with and has opened his heart up to me. Man. From suicide to salvation. Keep a good testimony when you go around different businesses and stuff. You never can tell when someone who might seem to be real gruff on the exterior is, is hurting inside. I had that happen this week. I won't go into any detail. 
and all. I didn't go into any personal detail in Sunday school. I wouldn't even go in there. But a man who seems very gruff on the outside stuff. Not mean, but gruff. I could tell he was wanting to talk to me for a second before I pulled my car out of the lot where he was. He came up to me and there's some tears coming down the eyes. Here's what he said. Totally blew my mind. We don't know each other well. But he knows I'm a preacher. He knows I've been in. I've done business honest with these people. And uh, he said, I was hoping you'd come by. Man doesn't even own the Bible. He's hoping somebody might come by and might be able to tell him something he needs. By the way, I could tell him something he needed. Because you're training and counseling? Oh, fooey on that. Because of this. And by the way, it was something he needed. And that they would speak to the situation. I'm telling you, look at this guy here in Acts chapter 16. Talk about from suicide to salvation. Acts 16, and let's look in verse 25. Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail for basically preaching the Word of God and, and that. And at midnight, they're in prison. They're in the inner prison. Their feet are in stocks, so they're in a very uncomfortable thing where their feet are locked in and, and totally uncomfortable in every way. But look what they're doing. Verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise, uh, praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. <laughs> you think that might have gotten a different reaction from some cells? Yeah. I bet not all the prisoners were saying, isn't that a wonderful song? Um, they heard him. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now that got everybody's attention. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prisoner waking out of his sleep, don't you love that? <laughs> the guard, he was sleeping. And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. He said, why would he have done that? Because that's what the Roman government was going to do to him in a very unpleasant way for, for letting the, the soldier, or letting the prisoners out. Supposing the prisoners had been fled. They got no electric lights or stuff, so he just sees the gates are open, but he you know, can't see what all is going on. So he's getting ready to do himself in. He's actually, yeah. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. We are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? At some point in my correspondence with this man I'm talking about, he said to me these exact words regarding God. It didn't start at this level. He said, what would he have me to do? I sent him this, this account. It's powerful what God's been doing with this. What must I do to be saved? Now there's a direct question. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Why? Because they ended up believing also. Watch what they do. This is amazing. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. The jailer actually springs them out of jail temporarily so they can go talk to those of his house. He took them the same hour of the night washed their stripes. They'd been thrown in jail with the cuts and everything all matted in bed and was baptized he and all his straight way. And he brought them into his house. He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And by the way, the next morning had them back in jail where they were supposed to be. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? They tell him. He 
go out. He accepts the Lord. He makes sure they, hey, you got to talk to my family. Cleans them up. Gets baptized that night. Feeds them. Says, I got to put you back in jail. We know. Puts them back in. What an unusual account. That's pretty amazing, I think. From suicide to salvation, what must I do? I'll show you one another. Look in Mark chapter 5. And obviously, I'm not expounding all of this, but look in Mark chapter 5. And look in verse 22. This one's very touching, and I don't mean that as a pun at all. It is a very poignant story. Verse 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, imagine this, lieth at the point of death. Now, how serious would you be in prayer if that was Mars? Marlea, we call her granddaughter Mars. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she might be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. The word throng means crowd was so intense he could barely get through them. They're pushing stuff. You think how you see like at the end of a football game or something where they're trying to get the head coach and stuff out and the police are having to make room for people. And, and that's exactly, I mean, this crowd is just crushing in on them. That's the idea of a, a crowd thronging somebody. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, she's been suffering with this. Look at this. Some of you can take understanding what she'd been through. And had suffered many things and many physicians. And had spent all that she had. And was nothing better but grew up. Imagine the emotional toil, toll that takes in addition to the physical. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched His garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Look at the disciples. Can you imagine the tone of voice this question was put out in? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? So many people pressing in, we came and walked, and they're like, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. He said unto her, I love this term, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace, and behold, thy plague. I put this down about her. <laughs> this was the woman who touched God. The touch that God felt. Her faith and focus were on Jesus Christ. She wanted to get a hold of Him. He that cometh to God. Not agreement with religion. Cometh to God. Not adopting of a creed coming to God. And she did. And it was such a touch, all these people were bouncing off these right there with him, but somebody touched him. May God help you if you're seeking to actually touch the Lord. May God help you with that. It was a touch that God felt. <laughs> 
We'd be here all day if I tried to speak to you about Lydia, the woman at the well, the discerning scribe, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, the thief on the cross, the Ethiopian, and on and on and on we can go. Who's coming to who? They are coming to God. Wide range of different people. Wide range of different circumstance and event around it. But they had some things in common. These aren't the only things, but they are dominant things when you read about all of them. Number one is humility. Every one of them comes to God humbly. They're not like those people who were mocking Jesus, if you be this, the Son of God. Come down now from the cross will believe. No, 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 no. There's no arrogance. You not ever really come to God until you can come in humility. You won't do it. You're so full of yourself, you can never be filled with God. And may God open your eyes to what you actually are. That's the only cure for it. They came in humility. They came in honesty. I love the invitation song, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Honesty. Here's what I am. Get honest with God. It's necessary for you to come to Him in true repentance for salvation, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's necessary for your ongoing growth as a Christian to be honest with God. See, as long as you're prefacing, well, I'm not as bad as some, and well, I'm, it wasn't, yeah. You're not going to make progress. Get real. Deal with it as it is. Be humble, be honest. And then I put this down, all of them had a hunger. What kind of a desire does it take for a well-known wealthy man to actually literally climb a physical tree where everybody can see him climbing this tree? He looked like a nut job doing it. What kind of... Because he didn't care what that crowd was doing, thinking, or saying. He wanted to see for himself who Jesus was. What does it take to be that beggar alongside the road with no right seemingly to exert yourself to, with everybody telling you, be quiet, you're out of order, and not being willing to hush, you want to, you want to get in touch with Jesus? What kind of faith does it take for a woman who for 12 years has had her hope raised up time and time again that something could be changed, that something could be different, only to have it dashed to put herself, by the way, completely out of normal order for a Jewish lady to do things this way. To force herself through that crowd and just touch, which would have been considered a forward action, this, this man's garment. What does it take for a jailer to take the people who are in the roughest part of his jail to look at him and say, you don't want to be safe? <laughs> wow. Humility. Honesty. And a hunger for God. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for these things. I pray that uh, as I've attempted to speak clearly about them and you've dealt with people inside the heart, that folks will be responsive to you. Begin a work and a revival among your remnant.
And uh, Lord, I pray that Your hand be here. May someone be honest this morning about their condition before You. To know whether they're actually Your child or not. Where is their faith? God, I pray that Your children this morning be strengthened to follow You. May this invitation be the beginning of a direction and a process, please. Amen. Let's stand together. We have a song invitation, and we'll ask you that you would come. I may be asking you, will you come to Christ? If you're not saved this morning, that is what I'm asking you. He's worthy of belief. You can have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. One of the great hindrances is trying to figure it all out. It's been revealed to us. Christ came for us in the person of Jesus. And He gave Himself. Rose on the third day with power. Will you put your faith in Him? You're already God's child this morning. Christ is your Savior. You're not ashamed of that. Where is He in your life? I appreciate the priority you've given to be in the house of God this morning. That speaks well. May God give you grace to make Him a priority in each thing you do. Seek His honor in what you do with your life. Seek to be honest before Him. We have a song invitation or something you need to bring before the Lord. Maybe one of us could take Scripture and show you. You get this thing settled. That you're God's child. Why don't you come as our penis begins to play. Who's coming to who?